first guest this week has packed so much in to a short career, it's hard to believe that he's still only 25 years old. And it may well be that he might have a significant career after he's uh, finished in the saddle because he's got quite a few irons in the fire. We'll find out very shortly. He rode another grade one victory last week. He had to share the spoils with one of yesterday's heroes, Aidan Coleman. But he's riding high. He is Johnny Burke. Johnny, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Great to be here. I said it's... It's it's amazing that you're you're only 25 because so much seems to have happened in you know quite a short space of time. One of the biggest jobs in in racing when you were only only 18 years old. How do you sort of feel about the game now? That's just great. It's been, it's been great to me. Um, I had to kind of flick through my photos this morning to remind myself of that time. Um, but it's been it's been a long journey, but um, it's good. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. So tell me where it all started. Obviously, your, your dad, Liam's a, a, a trainer. Was it always written in the stars that this would be your, your life? Uh, I suppose it was. There was always horses. It was like, as soon as I was born, it was just horses. Um, he was lucky enough to train for a host of Paul Nichols' owners, um, Mr. Barber, um, Mr. Roach, Mr. Hales, all these people. Um, and we had nearly 100 horses growing up, but it was mainly point-of-pointers, and, and that was kind of where it started. And he never left me wanting for anything with ponies and, and whatnot, but... Um, it was just always horses, yeah. And is, is that the way he'd grown up as well? Had it been had it been a whole generation? Has it been a whole generations of Burks? Yeah, it was. Um, he, his family was warned, but he, he was just always horses. Um, worked for Mouse Morris and Fonzie O'Brien, I think. Um, but he rode as an amateur, um, and an injury stopped him stopped him short, and he started training, and um, he's still training today. And he's actually taken back out his license to ride too, so. And I mean, we were discussing with everyone. Everyone will know now because he's a he's a pretty quiet, unassuming guy. And suddenly he was thrust into the headlines last week as part of this inquiry into into John Warwick. And he said he found that found that pretty tough. He did. He did. And I think in the sense that he's a hard working man, a quiet man, and um, he just gets on with his work. He'd work from as soon as there's daylight in the morning until dark at night, and um, just to be caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think it just hit him a bit. Um, for no fault of his own, so he was doing a, a neighbour a favour. So uh, I think being caught up in all that with the bad press just hit him. But um, he's fine. He, he had a, a nice winner in Clamell in the week, and um, I'm, I'm sure me riding a few winners too is um, hel- helping him too. Were you a bit worried about him? Because I mean, he said in the in the in the papers that he it had rocked him a little bit. I, I was I was actually because when I say he's a quiet man, he didn't even say it to me. Um, first I saw of it was when it flashed up on my phone. So. It did a bit, but but when I spoke to him, he was fine. And and as I said, he's a hard working man. He just gets on with the job, so yeah, he's fine. Sounds like a, a quite an idyllic upbringing for you. You quite a close family. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, actually, my mum passed away when I was young. Um, I was only five. Today is actually her um, anniversary. So um, with that, my sister was. I was five when mum passed, and she was nine. So with that, my sister and my sister and dad kind of stuck together, and then my sister kind of brought me up because he was busy with training horses and point of pointing and doing everything, trying to keep everything going as well as we were trying to grow up. So um, my sister's in Australia now, so um, we would have been very close and still are very close. Um, so it, it was a good upbringing, but uh, we had great people, we had great staff working for us and we had great owners and still have great owners. Um, and our neighbours were great as well. I was just very lucky growing up, very fortunate. Yeah. And is your sister in racing? As well. Yeah, yeah. She, she works for a trainer out in, um, <coughs> excuse me, in Australia, Matthew Smith, um, secretary and going racing and stuff. She's out there two years now, so um, I think lockdown helped keeping her out there. I don't think she'd have lasted if lockdown didn't didn't hit. But 
she's she's enjoying it, but um, I'd obviously like to see her soon if I could too, you know. Yeah, you must miss her. Oh, we do, of course I do. Um, I haven't seen her in a long time now, but um, I, she, she's getting a great kick out of my career as well. Um, yeah, she's um, every day, it's um, every morning and night we speak, and um, she's getting great enjoyment too, yeah. So when do you feel that the career really started to roll? I mean, you were, as I say, you were, you were young when you got significant success, but you, know, you started riding, what, 16, as soon as you could? Yeah, like from day one I was, I was lucky. Um, my next-door neighbour was Davy Condon, and Paul Townham wasn't far away as well, so they were probably two idols for me growing up, and, and I was lucky enough to go on to live with Paul and Davy, um, live with both of them, and, and to this day I still speak to them. Um, and I suppose at 16 I had my first ride in Cork race course, I had two rides the same day for Dad. First one finished seven or eight, and the second one won. And it was in Dad's colours, and you just couldn't write it. It was very special, and um, it, it kind of spiralled from there a bit. I started, took it upon myself to start ringing for rides then, and Dad was going mad. He said, "Don't be annoying trainers," because he wouldn't make it to him. But I rang everyone, just every bumper there was. I rang every trainer I could, and and I just tried to get on as best I could, and. Um, I went from there and then I, I turned conditional. I won the Land Rover bumper for Willie Mullins. Um, I think it was 2014, very much so. Um, and I was riding out for Willie on uh, school holidays and any chance I got. And um, that that was kind of the turning point, I think. And, and I always wanted to turn conditional, but the right time was, didn't know when, I, I suppose. And um, like Gary Cribben was kind of overseeing me a bit, uh, jockey's agent in Ireland. He does Mark Walsh and Rachel Blackmore. And... and um, he was a big help to me, and, and he was obviously keen for me to turn conditional, as a jockey's agent would be. So a month after Punchestown, I turned conditional, and um, just tipped away from there, and I started right. I was in Willie's and Noel Mead's, and then back home with Dad as well. I mean, given what you're seeing now, and given the profile that you had as a young, aspiring jockey then, do you ever think, I shouldn't have left Ireland? I could have had one of those massive jobs where I'm riding these grade one horses every week? It was a series of circumstances that led to me moving to England. Um, I'd probably have to go back to when I got the POTS job. Um, I got the POTS job, I think, two or three months after turning conditional. I mean, that, that's an extraordinary <coughs> role to have at the time. I mean, the late Alan Potts, the late Anne Potts, they had an amazing string of horses. You're immediately 18, five-pound claimer, you're rung up and and offered this job. Yeah, yeah, it was in funny circumstances. Like Henry de Bram had, um, had approached my dad a couple of weeks previous to know where I was riding out, and I went in every Monday riding out, and um, came out of the blue, he rang me up and said, Alan wants to appoint you as first jockey. So it, it kind of didn't hit home really straight away. You'd size in Europe, size in John, all these horse the horses to ride, and um, just probably I was too young to realise, so I just dived in and got stuck in. So. Uh, shortly after getting the job, I, I won on size in Europe and Gorn. It was his fourth time winning the the champion chase in Gorn, and that kind of cemented it then, and it just took off. Then size and John won a Grade One at Christmas. That was my first Grade One. Um, went to Cheltenham, had a couple of seconds and thirds. Size and Granite won a Grade One at Aintree. Shanahan's Thurman on to win a Galway Plate. That was all in the first year, so it couldn't have gone any better. Really. And you were only eighteen. I was only eighteen. I was gone nineteen at this stage. Um, I'd lost my claim in January, so that was gone. Um, lucky, like, I just couldn't not lose it because the horses were there to ride, really. Um, and then it, that brought me on. Size and John went chasing, and, and um, he won a beginners, won a grade two. And then I got to 
January 16, I got a fallen thoroughness off size and silver, and I done minor damage to my back, um, just minor fractures of T3 and 4, which kept me out for six weeks. And I got back for Cheltenham, rode at Cheltenham, um, in a road at Fairy House, Aintree, was fifth international, and I got a fall for Dad's schooling on the Monday, and I fractured and crushed T6 in my back. So that kept me out for about three and a half months, and that was a fair blow. Um, but like when every jockey gets injured, and I was after a good run to that point, so mm. um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't complain really. Um, and I got back and just pulled my socks up, and and, and things were still going okay for Mr. Potts. Um, but then his horses moved to Jessica Harrington and Colin Tizard, and and I felt it was slipping on me. So, so on an amicable agreement, we split, we went our separate ways, and I went freelance. When you say you felt it was slipping on you. How do you, how do you mean? Did you just feel that you didn't have the connections with those trainers that you had had with? I think Henry so. Um, I'd never ridden for Jesse, and I'd never ridden for Colin Tizard. So, and obviously he was in England and she was in Ireland. So, just wasn't really sure what way it was going to work, and it was everything was a bit up in the air. But the whole thing, so um, just felt it was going, and things weren't really going well either. So, I just felt it was slipping. So, um, I took myself back, and we had an amicable split. So. As I say, you're, you're still only 19 at the time, so everything's in front of you, yet you've already won Grade 1 races. How difficult was that in your own head to re-establish yourself, given that you'd had the taste of success at that very high level? Yeah, I suppose it was hard, but I was ready for the challenge, I suppose, and I just got stuck in and started riding out everywhere I could. Um, kept going into Willie's Gardens, everywhere everywhere I could go, I just got going. And um, I was busy, I was plenty of rides, and... Um, that brought me to December where I broke, broke my leg. So then that came on top shortly after the split with Mr. Potts. I broke my leg, that was two months. I got back for three weeks um, and I got fallen in Avon and I broke my, done my shoulder, done ligaments and tendons and all sorts of my shoulder. And that kept me out for five months. And um, that was a complete step back then. I just had to take a step back and get myself right. So um, then that brought me on to the summer and, and I was in, I was at the Derby sale with Dad and um, got a call to know would I be interested in moving to England and uh, it was to Cherry Longs and that's kind of how I ended up here and I remember that call and I looked at Dad and I kind of said to him will I and we were both of the opinion I was at the right age I was 21 at that time then so I was at the right age um, 20 I was at the right age to, to go and give it a go if it didn't work I could always go home So It's weird though isn't it because even though in the UK now, we watch so much more Irish racing, even though Irish horses are so dominant at all these major festivals. Did you still get the feeling people were sort of saying, Johnny who? Uh, not really. Like, I, I never lost my own... I never lost confidence in my own ability. Um, I was always happy that I was able to do the job. But uh, going back to your other question, I was... Um, I do think about it. If I did stay in Ireland with Willie and Garden, where would I be in the pecking order? But... Uh, I'm content and happy where I am now, and I'm like to think I'm making the most of what I'm doing now. I suppose Henry de Bromhead's the obvious one, isn't it? I mean, that's another one. Yeah, like um, Henry was great. Like he, he gave me the chance. I suppose he gave me the leg up to Mr. Potts and Jim Draper as well at the time. He was brilliant. Um, I'd ridden a bit for him as a claimer, and I'm sure he had a lot to do with me getting the job too. But um, most of the were with Henry. So obviously, you look at what they're doing now, and they're dominating Cheltenham and stuff. You do, I do think, but. Um, as I said, I'm content. I'm content with what I'm doing now. Jim Draper is often forgotten when people talk about the great Irish trainers, but clearly he shouldn't be with wonderful pedigree, wonderful horses that he's that he's trained. Mm. What was he like to ride for? Oh, the best. He was incredible. Even to deal with, he was just such a nice man. It was always 
do right by the horse. Um, if they ever riding a stain chaser from if they made a mistake, he'd say, take a pull and give him, give, give him a pat and give him a chance to come good again, I suppose. And he was a great man to ride for, and I was very lucky to be associated with him and, and his family too. They were great people. I, I, I often wonder how attached jockeys get to two horses. It strikes me that given that you're somebody who's grown up with, with the animals, you know, trying to get the best out of each of them is something that really drives you and spurs you on. Oh, you do. You wouldn't do it if you didn't love them. Um, like, yeah, those horses, you're right day in, day out, that you love. Um, but they've all got different characters and they've all got different ways about them. And speak about characters, you get onto not so sleepy. He's a bit of a... <laughs> he's a bit of a enigma, I suppose. But um, they've all got different ways about them and you just try and get the best out of them, yeah. How important was it for you to ride another Grade 1 winner last weekend? What sort of a staging post do you think that was in your career? Looking back massive, I didn't probably realise at the time, but as the week went on, I thought, yeah, that's probably helped me really cement myself in England, maybe, although we shared it, but shared it with a fellow Corkman, so that wasn't too bad. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was massive. Like, you want to ride at the top level, and when you go back to, I had a taste of it as a very young kid, um, young man, I suppose, to... to, to get a taste again is great and you just want more I suppose yeah. yeah I mean this picture seems to embody not so sleepy even even in even in that still you can see that he's a, he's a bit of a character uh, he's a funny horse but he's um he's got some ability he's got a great way about him um, um yeah he's just a great horse to ride he's um he's fun I suppose you could say but he, he's got his own ways about him that's a great shot of you and you and Aidan Coleman there. Mm. You, you seemed to enjoy each other's success quite a bit, I thought, for people who who dead-heated. It's not something that jockeys normally relish. Yeah, I think so, but um, Aidan's brother Kevin rode a lot for my dad. He rode a Galway plate winner for my dad. So Did he? Yeah, so it's not like we're just two strangers. So um, It was quite nice to dead-heat this bus with Aidan, knowing that there was a bit of past history there too. So. So riding a winner like that on a, a pretty charismatic horse that, that people like, it, it may have just you know put you back in the in the public consciousness a little bit. Do you like to hope so? Look, you just try to ride every day as best you can. But I'm very lucky with the support I have in Tom George and Oliver Sherwood. Um, they're my main two, and um, Tom Lacey's good as well. And pick up as much I can from there. But Chris Brawl, my agent, was my agent. I retired, passed it over to Gordy Clarkson, and he's doing a great job. Um, but I think I'm very fortunate with the people I have around me. Um, I wouldn't have got the ride on Not So Sleepy if it wasn't for Henrietta Knight. Um, and to be associated with people like that is a massive help. Because you rode a, a lot of the Radford horses, didn't you, when Henrietta was helping to train them and, and they were running for, for, for Mick Shannon. Tell me about your relationship with Hen. Yeah, it started with Glenn Forza. Um, when he first went over fences, um, Adrian Heskin had been riding them and he had to ride for McNeil's elsewhere. So... I never met Henrietta Knight. Um, I think apparently she met me when I was a very small boy um, when she came to look at horses of my dad's. But um, And she put me forward for the ride and, and that's kind of where I started. And he won and I started going in schooling and I've gone in there ever since. And what have you learned from her? I so, so much. She's um, She sees things in riders that others probably wouldn't. Um, wouldn't say much, but obviously when she does speak, you listen. Um but just the school under her eye, the, the confidence that she gives you and the horses, um, you just come out of there thinking that you're great, really. But um, it, it's, um, it's just a great way, great place to be. It's a great environment. Her, her, her yard is very quiet and relaxed, and the horses relax there, and it's just a nice morning. 
What do you need as a rider to maintain your focus, to maintain your ability to do the job to the, you know, the best of your potential every day? Um, that's a difficult question. I, I suppose you just need to keep riding the horses to the best of their ability and do their do your best for your owners and trainers. But I, I keep giving myself a recheck. Um, I did a feature with my dad a couple of years ago for for a TV show back home, um, and I spoke my bit. And I had to go racing, so I didn't get to see what hear what he said until it was actually aired. So you were and talking about each other, kind of just about our kind of my time from when I started. To, to, it was kind of in the middle of the pots job, I suppose, and it was just kind of a little feature on the two of us. And uh, one thing he said that I was living the dream that he had. And um, if I have a good or a bad day, I always just remind myself of that. And um, I suppose that kind of keeps your focus. That. I'm in a very fortunate position to be doing the job that I'm doing, and um, it's probably something that you don't really call a job, really. So, and, and going going all the way back, because as you said at the at the start, because you lost your mum at, at such a young age, and you've got that very tight bond with your dad and your and your sister. Do you think that depth of appreciation for for what you do have in life gives you a better perspective on your professional life? It does, yeah, it does. It just um, just makes you really appreciate it, I suppose, and that you're able to do something that you love and do something that I was not born to do but something that was around me from the day I was born so um, it definitely does but I'm, I've, I'm I just going back to the people around me I've got a great girlfriend and Frankie and, and her family too are great and um, it's just you're as good as the people around you I suppose and, and, and um, although my mum passed away when I was young you just try and do what would make them proud I suppose and I'd like to think I'm making my dad and my sister proud and you've you've already thought about what life might be like beyond being a jockey, which is quite unusual for somebody who's as young as you are and still at a relatively early stage of a career. Have you always sort of been thinking, right, what am I going to do because this isn't going to last forever? Not, not really. It's kind of something that I stumbled across, really. Um, as I was a young kid, when I'd be a jockey, I was commentating races um, on the ponies and when I started riding out at home and... Then I commented pony races and stuff and on to do point of points back home, local point of points they allowed me to do and it's just something I have my eye on for when I finish because I do know it doesn't last forever but uh, hopefully it's not for a couple of years yet. And I know you talked a bit about this with, uh, with Richard on the ITV podcast earlier in the week but this is, we'll just have a little look at, at, uh, at Johnny uh, commentating. This could very well be his, uh, his next career. Down the street they come now, and it's Celestial Force in the centre, being challenged on both sides by Mulatto and Wise Glory. Talan beginning to give way, King's Proctor just in behind these they come now, passing the wings of the final flight, and it's Celestial Force in the purple sleeves in the centre for Sarah West, now challenged by Wise Glory and Hannah Roach the far side, it's Mulatto and Livingstone, half a furlong to go, and it's Wise Glory down the outside for Hannah Roach, Celestial Force, they go to the line, Wise Glory, Celestial Force, very tight. In this, the Racing Welfare Charity flat race, very tight between Celestial Force and Wise Glory. Uh, Paul Nichols won two either way. Melado was third, Kings Proctor to land. Um Denny was after these from Get Back, Get Back, Miss M. Soupy Soups, Kings Proctor. Sucker Punch followed in by Court and Flight. Absolute natural, clearly. I mean, how you didn't how you didn't call the winner, I'm not sure. I should have done a Tomo, shouldn't <laughs> I? It's a photo. Yeah, um, yeah look, I, I suppose I find very easy... Um, for some reason, I wasn't great at school, but I could learn 20 runners. So, um, yeah, it's something for when I finish. 
So is it something to do with, obviously you've got a skill for communicating, a skill for talking. Um, is it something that you, you find quite straightforward to memorise a lot of horses and, and just sort of have that information in your head? I think so, and the rhythm of a race, I just find accommodating it quite easy to start off, quite slow, and just build it up, build it up to, to the climax, I suppose. But it's just something I've always done. I, I probably came, um, going back to when Dad trained for um, all those owners of Paul Nichols's, mm. All those colours were winning big Saturday races, and um, the natural thing for me to do was put on the britches and the colours and head out to the simulator and reenact the Hennessy or whatever race it was, the Gold Cups, or and um, that's where my commentating came from too. So, so were you riding Denman in your head? I was on the simulator like a 10, 10 11 year old kid, just reenacting all these races, pretending to be Ruby Walsh and all these people, but. Um, that's probably where the commentating started, I suppose. Yeah. So you were in your in your in your head while you were on the on the simulator. You were calling Johnny Burke, riding all these winners. Oh yeah. And it's yeah. Johnny Burke and that's Denman. The Johnny Burke <laughs> and who were the other Nichols horses at the time? Who you were? Uh, it was probably Zertiap, wasn't there? Mastermind. Yeah. Zertiap probably a bit before that, but Mastermind is Carter. Obviously, he was. Yeah. How many did you win on him? Many, 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 many races. <laughs> no, it was. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I started from. That's all those commentating. Yeah. So that was. Where I started from, and so, is this for real? Is this what you're going to do next? I mean, it's it's a way off. Oh yeah, God, I hope, <laughs> I hope opportunities and body allowing a ride till I'm forty or beyond. But um, that's what I'd like to do when I finish. Yeah. But maybe before you finish, are you going to try and do the two at the same time? If I could, if the summers weren't that busy, um, I could look into it. If there was an opportunity to do it, uh, I would do it in the summertime. Um, it keep me busy in the summer if I could. So um. If if that was a thing, I'd definitely do it, yeah. Do you think also they'd be complementary skills? Because you're you're young and you're sharp and your eyes are good and you you know, you're you're alert, that reading races would help you with your riding and still riding would help you with your commentary. I'd say so, yeah. It, it couldn't do any harm in a way, I suppose. But um yeah, like, the one thing I um it definitely wouldn't do any harm to do both, but the one thing riding is first and foremost for now, but um if there was an opportunity to do the commentating, I definitely would, yeah. And we saw you in, in winning action at, at Aintree yesterday on, on C sessions for um, Ross O'Sullivan. Uh, that, I thought, was a, a terrific ride. It, you, it just sort of exuded an enormous amount of confidence. You looked like a man who feels good about the game. Yeah, and it's, it's like it's just winners, winners breed confidence, doesn't it? I've been lucky the last four Saturdays I've had a winner each Saturday. Um, and a couple of winners in the week as well, and just winners breed confidence, don't they? And when you get on the right horses, it's your confidence builds with that. So, but I had great instructions yesterday for us. He just said try and finish third. So, um, she was good and brave and honest. Yeah. You're second from the left there, and I just thought, even though you know, it's not obvious that you're going to win at this point, it doesn't look as though you've gone for absolutely everything. No, it was a long. It's a long straight. Obviously, you know, I entered in the ground. Yes, and the conditions were tough, especially with three-year-old filly. So, I was just trying to nurse her up there rather than go for. Her. I, I was interested watching the race. Why did you dive to the inside when sort of orthodoxy suggested you would have gone to the outside of that hurdle? Were you just trying to get closer to the horse you thought was going better? I was trying to get a clear run. I suppose James was just coming right um, on Calvados. He was coming for the rail naturally enough and didn't want to get stopped at any point because if I got stopped I wouldn't have got going again um, but she was good delighted for Ross as well and um, my agent Gary was a great job but Gary Cribben would have been very good friends with Ross and it was just it's all nice it's um, 
It's a great ride an Irish winner as well. You enjoyed that, didn't you? I can I see that. Did I got a good kick out of it? Yeah, I did. I did enjoy it. It's always nice um, when you ride a winner for Irish people and home home people. I suppose it's always nice to ride a winner for home. And how well would you know Ross O'Sullivan? Not very well. I'd have obviously rode a bit from back home and stuff, but um, I'd have known him through Ruby and Katie and, and Ted and all that. But um, it's great to ride a winner for him. It was a good good boost for him too. And you're off to Huntingdon today. Yeah, uh, a couple of spins there. One for Richard Hobson and one for Oliver. So, and that relationship with Oliver Sherwood is obviously something that's done done you very well. What sort of guys he like to ride for? Great man, um, just a gentleman as everyone knows. He's um, great man to deal with. But he, he he works well with Tom George. They've got similar kind of owners and similar kind of horses, and they work together. So, um, if I want to ride for Tom of a day, Oliver might wait, or vice versa. So. Um, they work well together, and I enjoyed it. I was lucky with Leighton. I was um, I was schooling behind Leighton mm-hmm. his last season, and um, he was a great man to learn off to. And I'd say if you're someone who's got a good relationship with Tom George and a good relationship with Huey Morrison, you're good at getting on with people. <laughs> it probably helps, yeah. <laughs> but you don't mind a hard taskmaster, I guess is what I'm saying. You don't mind someone who takes a view... No, I suppose I'm fairly level-headed. I'm fairly relaxed. Like it wouldn't bother me too much. Um, just get on and do do your job. But um, yeah, I just yeah, just get on and do it. Uh, fairly level. I think that goes back to the grounding that I had with my dad. So. Yeah. But if somebody said to you, "Oh God, Johnny, you gave that a terrible ride," you'd be able to take that on the chin and. I would because the first man I'd ring is my dad, and he would tell me whether I did good or bad, and, and he, would, he would tell me. so. And I've had that from day one, and I've been very fortunate from day one to have that. And if I, know, if I knew I gave one a bad ride, I wouldn't ring him, because I know I get it. I, um, I don't think I've met your dad, but I kind of want to now. Yeah. He sounds like a special guy. Oh, he is. He's, he's, he's been... What he's given me, he's given me the chance of a lifetime to do this job, I suppose, and I'm hoping making him proud. It's been a... An extraordinary week, really, for the sport, um, and a, a week I would imagine of significant reflection for for everybody in the in the weighing room. You must have given that quite a bit of thought. Yeah, I have. It's it's been a tough week for the weighing room, I suppose. Yeah. Um, as a whole, the place is a bit quiet, um, and it's changed from when I started. Um, and but from a personal point of view, I keep myself to myself and I have a nice little corner with a good bunch of lads so um, don't really see what goes on but I, I'm fairly keep myself to myself in there but it just this week has been I think the way I'm has been taken aback by what's gone on yeah When you sort of drive to the races and, and sort of think about it obviously I would never ask you to comment on specifics of individual cases have you you know you're a thoughtful bright guy and young relative to most of your most of your colleagues have you thought about it as a as a workplace or a, an environment to exist in? Is, is it as that sort of whole debate about the culture of the weighing room crossed your mind? I has, but I think outside the weighing room, society's changed. Um, I think everything has changed, and we just probably, as a sport, have to move with it now. Just that it, it, it sort of has its own little um, microculture. It does, I suppose, but I'm sure in every sport you have that, um, and in every sport have their own little ways and ways of doing things and what goes on. But I think, as a whole, with what's gone on in the last eighteen months, society is changing, and we have to move with it now. And is it a is it a 
a sport and a, a way of life that you feel very comfortable in as a as an individual, as a young man? Oh yeah, without doubt. And and, and to any young person coming in um, to the sport, I'd welcome anyone with open arms. Um, it's a great sport with great people and, and one that you can make a great career out of if things go right for you. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai.